I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Athletic. Gibbs White has gone to ground. Red card for Rodri. Rodri just seemed to lose his head and saw red. Rodri has established himself as one of Europe's best midfield players, but Manchester City are going to have to do without him for a few weeks. His red card and three-game match ban means he misses Manchester City's trip to Arsenal at the start of the next month. No Premier League player has played as many games as Rodri since he arrived in England back in 2019. And I can see why Pep Guardiola would be absolutely furious with him, because they haven't got anybody who can replace him like for like. And in joining the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and Bernardo Silva on the sidelines, how will Pep's problem solvers adapt to another setback? I'm Ayo Akimulere. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Okay, joining me for this one, we've got Sam Lee, Manchester City writer for The Athletic and our Manchester football correspondent, Mark Critchley as well. Let's talk Rodri, you know, almost like the silent hero for Manchester City. We saw the red card against Nottingham Forest. Uh, Let's start with you on this one, Sam. Was that a bit out of character for a player of his stature? Yeah, massively. Being in that role, that holding midfield role, the pivot role, the number six role, whatever we're going to call it today, you kind of need to have a cool head and the way he plays the game, especially that kind of Spanish style, knows what's going on around him, always in control. You mentioned the goals there, you know, a lot of those goals have been so vital as well and arriving at the right moment and everything's just so cerebral and calm and, you know, he's one of the the five captains at City. Guardiola was saying he was warning his players at half-time to kind of keep their heads because the game was getting a bit out of control because he, was, he had issues with the referee. And then within, what, 40 seconds of the second half, Roger goes and does that. I suppose you could see how uncharacteristic it was in, in how it actually panned out. This kind of violent jab at his throat that just looked so ugly. It had to be a red card. It was almost like he didn't know what he was doing in that situation. Got too aggressive and messed it up. But yeah, very, very unusual and kind of terrible timing as well. Yeah, Chris, were you surprised by that? I was surprised because of everything that Sam's just said. Yeah, and I think it was the first, first red card of his career. What surprised me most of all was that when he turned around to do it, the ball was still in play. Like it hadn't actually quite gone over the line for the for the throwing or the core, whatever it would have been. And he's just, he's a player that you'd always expect to uh, be conscious of, you know, before he'd turn around and <laughs> almost almost like choke somebody, uh, if we're going that far with it, he would, he would look to make sure that there's still no danger that, you know, at least the ball was out of play and there was a break in play. So it did surprise me, but I don't think that there's really any argument about it. Gibbs White definitely sold it a little bit. There's a bit of a delayed reaction, but by the law or just through convention, if you put your hands around an opponent's neck in that way, then it usually ends up in a red card. So I wasn't surprised from it from that perspective, no. But I guess super surprising for a, a player who seems like such a professional, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get onto it later. But I think I think he's picked up a few yellows in his time, but never quite gets sent off. But let's talk about Pep's reaction to it, really, because he spoke about being angry. You sound angry with Rodri, is that fair, yeah. fair to say? You are? Yeah. I don't like to play against them for our faults. 
Rodri had to control himself and his emotions. He must be thinking, we've got Arsenal coming up. You're such a pivotal player, considering the, the, the outgoings we have, considering the injuries we've had. Why would you do this to me right now? But then it is also Pep Guardiola. He has a way of coming up with tricks to solve these problems. I know, Sam, you've, you've written a lot about how City can be problem solvers, especially whilst losing you know various personnel. But Pep has to think, Arsenal coming up, this is a big blow for us. It is a big blow for sure. He'd already used the word trouble to describe the injury situation. Stones hasn't played at all. De Bruyne played, what, 20 minutes on the first game, then he did his hamstring. Kovacic has been out recently. Grealish has been out for a bit. Bernardo's been in and out. Foden missed 85 minutes of a game with illness. They've had loads of injuries already. There's not an awful lot of depth in the squad. It's not the biggest squad. Even at the weekend, they had eight men on the bench and two of them were keepers. So there's not loads of options. And then, yeah, you lose one of your most consistent, reliable, brilliant players. It is It is obviously a problem. But, I mean, I think in the sports journalism industry, we're worriers, aren't we? Well, how are they going to cope with this? How are they going to cope with that? And look, for a lot of teams, these things can be problematic. But they've had so many issues over the years. They've, they've always seemed to get better despite them. And it isn't ideal with Rodri not playing, but I'm sure they'll figure it out. And if they don't figure it out, it's what? Let's say Arsenal go top in October. How long were they top last season? You know, it's not it's not the end of the world. Maybe this year they, but maybe this year they won't go one better. But you just my point is, it's not whether Arsenal are going to do or not do what they did last year. But it's City normally find a way, and then being behind in October is fairly normal actually. So yeah, I don't get too worried on their behalf because they're more than capable of, of fixing any problem, whether it's on the day of the game or whether it's you know when the trophies are handing out in April or May. Well, on the Totally Football Show yesterday, Adrian Clark was saying that the karmic gods had finally caught up with Rodri, you know, because he makes so many fouls, picks up quite a few yellow cards. Finally, that red, it has caught up with him. What are your thoughts on that? Um, there's, there's, a, there's a grain of truth to it. I've got to concede. I think um, the whole tactical fouls thing, I do think it's perhaps not as pronounced as it used to be. You know, I think everybody remembers back in around... 2018, 2019, it was a much bigger part of City's game, I think, especially with Fernandinho and the team. It's less of something now because there's a lot more control in the games. It's not quite as being direct as it was. So it's less of a thing in their play now. I don't think Rodri's as much of an offender of it as um, as perhaps Fernandinho was in the past, but it's certainly an element to City's game. So I can see why, yeah, rival fans and yeah, Adrian Clark is maybe looking at it thinking, <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, that's that's come back to haunt you there. So yeah, makes sense. Sam, let's talk about the evolution of, of Rodri as a player. You know, signed for City in 2019, 63 million pounds, massive, massive price tag, but not huge fanfare. And in fact, there doesn't seem like huge fanfare for many City players in general. I think there's a few elements to that. He's a holding midfielder that not many people knew much about. But I think a lot of City signings, there's not loads of fanfare. Look, obviously Haaland's the exception. But Rodri's not really any different to the other players that City have signed. We just kind of assume they'll be fine and, and we'll win trophies. And these days we probably expect that it'll take a bit of time for them to settle in. And that was exactly the case with Rodri. He looked well out of it uh, in the first season uh, compared to, to Fernandinho. For City fans to conceive that Rodri might one day be better than Fernandinho in that first season, even in the first few months of his second season, it just didn't look likely at all. You know, he'd, he'd been at Atletico Madrid for one year. He was at Villarreal before that. He had that reputation for what driving a mini and living in student accommodation and all this kind of stuff. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a big glamorous signing to to pay attention to. But as you said earlier on, he's kind of the quiet superstar, really, and he's what everything's really been based around. 
Yeah, Chris, does that give us an insight into the, the way City scout really, you know, it's it's about ability, it's about integration into the team as opposed to getting someone who's just a big star for the sake of it, dare I say, let's look across the pond at another Manchester team wearing red. Yeah, no, completely. I think um, it's everything that we've been saying for years about City and the Pep is that it's a, it's a, it's a system team and, um, you know, he's a perfect fit, you know what I mean? He's, he's a Guardiola player. And if you were looking around at that time for a number six in Europe who could do what Guardiola demands then he'd be the guy who's 23 years old 63 million pounds it was you know a, a fair old chunk of money to throw at someone at that age but still reasonable enough and absolutely worth it for everything that he's achieved since so yeah I agree with what Sam says there's, n- there's never really that much hype around these type of players because City almost boxed them off to a point where there's not a lot of competition like I'm really struggling to think of the last player who really joined City who had a lot of other clubs in for him not because they aren't good players but because they're so convinced by the project and City want absolute you know commitment from everybody that they tried to sign so maybe there isn't that hype and that fanfare yeah I agree but um, once, once, once they actually turn out on the pitch they deserve all the plaudits that they get can we make a case then for Rodri being City's most valuable player? Maybe we're reaching, I don't know. Well, our data writer, Mark Carey, gave it a go. Manchester City are unlikely to be the same team without Rodri in the side. He is essential to how they play. And as evidence of this, no Premier League player averaged more touches than Rodri's 103.7 per 90 last season. And no Premier League player has played more games than his 216 in all competitions since he joined City in the summer of 2019, which just goes to show how much Pep Guardiola trusts him in the side. We know how defensively aware Rodri is in sitting in front of his defence and protecting City's back line. And this is also shown in the numbers with 18.5 ball recoveries per 1,000 opponent touches, also being the highest in the Premier League last season. My job, yeah. <laughs> not an easy job, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, uh, I understand my role, exactly what the team means about me. Not only football skills, also the mentality, the leadership, these kind of things. But one of his greatest strengths is just how good he is on the ball at retaining possession, especially when under pressure from the opponent. Using data from Skill Corner, who are a company that provide contextual physical metrics, we can analyse all midfielders' ball retention when they're being pressured by an opponent across all teams in Europe's top five leagues last season. And quite simply, Rodri's 93% ball retention rate while under pressure was second only to Real Madrid's Tony Kroos across all midfielders in Europe. So quite a remarkable rate that shows just how composed he is in possession when players are flying towards him and how important he is in building City's attack. Quite simply, Rodri is Guardiola's metronome and it'll be really interesting to see how City perform without him in the side. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's betterhel dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Ayo Akinwalere. Sam, when when did Rodri become the single pivot in, in City's midfield? In his first season, he was kind of thrown in the deep end because City and you know Guardiola and his staff, they knew that he'd need time to adapt. And the problem he had or the issue he had was he'd kind of push up the pitch and try and close down an opponent, not really paying attention to what was going on in the wider context of the game. And if he was bypassed then, obviously as the holding midfielder, then the, the defence would be got out easily. And that happened again and again because City had a few different issues, injuries and just like a bit of complacency that season that meant that he played all the time before he was ready and he was always getting exposed. So at, at some point, Guardiola said, OK, we need to put Gundogan next to him to kind of stodge up things in the middle a bit. The next season started in much the same way, actually. It was pandemic. Um, it was still a bit grim. And it was only until December when they started to turn things around. It, but it worked in a in a different way because at that point Cancelo was coming into the middle from right back and then he was going further forward as well into the, into the final third but they didn't need somebody to hold Rodri's hand in the same way that Gundogan did for the first like year or so so basically then you could say that he was the sole holding midfielder but as we've seen obviously last season one of the, one of the big things that City did was moving stones into midfield but we know they did that before with Zinchenko with like Cancelo like I've already mentioned so there's always been somebody in there but there was there was definitely a period when he first came when it was like you need two men at the back of the midfield at all times just to kind of stop the opposition attacking through the middle. But he quickly picked up on, you know, when to when to press and when not to. Um, he actually talked about that in pre-season when we interviewed him in in Tokyo. He said that was his big issue to to get over. But as soon as he did, and then obviously as soon as the team kind of clicked around him. It was like one hand washing the other. He didn't need the help anymore, but also City was set up better to stop him ever needing it in the first place. But um, even so, if you go forward to the the Champions League final in 2021, he didn't play. Now, obviously now that's unthinkable, but back then it wasn't 
the solid 100% Rodri that we know now, that was the end of that season when they turned it around in the December with Cancelo going forward. And he had got better, but towards the end of the season, they started thinking, okay, well, we'll put Fernandinho in there. And then Fernandinho wasn't playing well at the end of the season. Then it kind of led to infamously playing Gundogan as the holding midfielder for the first time in, in two years. And that was because Rodri, even then, so two years ago, wasn't quite the guy. But I think since then, you know, he's, he's indisputable and we're doing a whole podcast now on the fact that he, you know, he, he's not going to play against Arsenal. But two years ago, it wasn't the most outrageous thing in the world that he wasn't playing a Champions League final. So it has been in these last two seasons when he's really come on leaps and bounds. And then you go back to the last day of that season is when he scored that great goal against Villa in that dramatic turnaround on the last day. So that was his kind of, that was his time to shine. Yeah, this is the thing I was I wanted to come on is 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 his goals actually. They're not easy goals a lot of these goals. You're outside of the box, beautiful curling shots that you sort of see. I mean that shows finesse. Can we say, Critch, that he sort of redefined that role? You know, you look at the kind of money Arsenal are playing for players like Declan Rice. I mean, at the price City bought him from that that's a bit of a snip. Someone that offers you technical ability, that offers you goals, that also offers you a wonderful defensive hold and presence and a way to play off other players. I mean, wow, what a what a steal, some might say. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly in in hindsight and in retrospect, it looks, yeah, still, like you say, compared to some of the prices that uh, people are throwing around now. And like, look, this is, uh, we're saying he's redefined the role. I think everything that Sam just said there about the support that he had right at the start and the support that he now gets from um, inverted fullbacks coming inside means that he can join the attack and he can be on the edge of the box to to strike the ball in that way. And he's a, he's a brilliant striker of the ball, just from the goals that he scored, you've seen it. I think still fundamentally what he's best at is the basics of what Guardiola wants from a number six in that position, which is now what basically all the top teams want from a number six in the position, is what Arsenal were looking for, is what uh, United, Liverpool, etc. have all, all wanted, is uh, somebody who can basically come to the defence, take the ball off them and then progress it up through the pitch. And... Um, you know, you need a player that's going to be comfortable of doing that if you want to be a really elite, top-level Champions League standard side. So I think, like, yeah, he, his goals are one part of his game and they're a nice little icing on the cake, if you like. But really, what he is exemplary at is the basics of what is needed in that position. And that's what a lot of other top clubs are trying to emulate, I think. Yeah, I, we were talking about this just before we came on. Um, he's still only 27 years old. He looks like an old man, to be fair. Plays like an older, more mature player, to be fair. But um, is it too remiss of me to say, is he being overlooked, you know, for certain, you know, Ballon d'Or perhaps, or, you know, you know, player, player of the year kind of awards? Do, do we feel like he, he gets the plaudits he deserves, Sam? Well, he got um, UEFA's Champions League player of the season last year. I don't know, look. I think people know, like maybe maybe it's only this kind of perverse recognition he's getting now. But if you see the reaction from Arsenal fans and maybe Liverpool fans as well when he got sent off at the weekend, that's that's your recognition. You're going to struggle to get awards um, in that role. But to be fair, the fact that he won that one for UEFA for the Champions League, obviously that was because he scored in the final. And ironically, he didn't play particularly well um, by his by his own admission. Um, probably one of his more inconsistent games, but. That's how these things work. But yeah, if you want to know about the recognition and whether people rate him or not, the fact we're doing this and the fact that people are putting it down is not just key in that game, but people, for whatever reason, given there's so so long to go in the title race, people were putting it down as a, as a key moment in the title race itself. And that's because of how good he is. That's your recognition. Right, I want to go back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of how City might do with that. And we talk about him being out of the, the Arsenal match. And I know, Sam, you were like, look... 
I'm not worried at all. <laughs> City well, I mean, are probably Monaco well, but you followed it, you look at it. I trust you on that. But uh, Chris, I'm interested in your your position on this one because you know, yeah, if we talk about squad, we talk about um, you know being able to problem solve. But is his position a tricky one just because he's just been so good at it in the last two or three years? I think so. Like, let's park all the. I know we always get into this debate about City squad depth on this podcast, so let's just park no, that. No, no, like, I've had it. my wrist slapped so many times, but neither of them are you in terms of squad depth. I just put it out there. I, I mean, it's, it's not even about squad depth, but for me, it's about re reventing um, what you have um, in a way that other teams can't just simply because Pep Guardiola tactically is is brilliant. That That's the angle I think I'm going to start going on with City now, is to rejuvenate a squad that might be depleted and actually play in, in, in various different styles. But Rodri in particular, being this linchpin as we're talking about, do City have anyone that's fully fit right now that can take that place and do as good a job? That's my question to you, Okay, Critch. well, I thought, I thought you basically answered that pretty well yourself. <laughs> but, <laughs> but look, I guess, um, look, in terms of... Kovacic is coming back to fitness. You know, Nunes is not strictly a six, possibly play there. We've already seen Stones moving into that position if he's back fit by the time of the Arsenal game. So there are absolutely options and like 110% always back Pep Guardiola to find answers to it. Look, if there is a weak point in this squad, it probably is behind Rodri. And you could see from the fact of how eager City were to, to fill the midfield uh, this summer that, that, that that was a problem. It comes back to, obviously, the uh, as it stands, the failure of the Calvin Phillips signing, um, which I'm sure we'll come on to. So I, I remember when Phillips signed, actually thinking, well, well, that's basically sewn up every single like weak spot in City squad. And like the, there is no there is no area of that squad where you would look at now and say, well, if they lose him, they're in trouble. Um, I actually think for everything that we've just said, that was a, a bit of a basic take from myself there because even when Rodri goes now, I do expect Guardiola to find a solution because that's what he does. And, uh, you know, this, this this is a team that's played without a left back for I don't know how many years and like have gone through various iterations. I've had midfielders there that they've now got a centre back there. It doesn't seem to matter. Guardiola finds solutions. Losing Rodri, I think even more so than losing Haaland, was always going to be the biggest test of that ability to to find ways out of, yeah, to problem solve, basically. You know, I don't see this as like, <laughs> the key point in the title race at the point where City's defence falls down. One, because it's so early as we keep saying, but two, because you just always back Guardiola to find a solution and I'm sure there's enough options within that squad to do so. Yeah, for sure, Sam. You've written about Calvin Phillips and I think it's actually perfect time to come to it you know the piece dropped today on the athletic and there's a quote in there i thought was really interesting him saying it's probably the biggest week also in my manchester city career so far this is a massive opportunity for calvin phillips to step up and show that he's a manchester city man considering the door was open for him to go out on loan not too long ago yeah it was um last season just went so badly that city said in the summer look you, you can go on loan if you want he didn't want to. Uh, <laughs> and this is the thing about this this situation at the minute with, with Rodri being out. Yeah, it's an opportunity for Phillips to some extent. Guardiola's confirmed that he's going to play against Newcastle. But will he play against Wolves? It's, part, like, it's possible. I'm not going to sit on a podcast and say he's not going to because you know, what journalist wants to kind of nail their colours to the mass in that, in that kind of way. We don't know for a fact. But look, he's played. He started four games since he signed for City and two of those 
were after City had wrapped up the league. It was when they got the trophy against Chelsea and Guardiola went, right, okay, we don't have to we don't have to play for these points anymore. Let's just play like proper second string. Uh, and then it was the last game of the season before they had the FA Cup final. So those two basically didn't count. And the other two were in the Carabao Cup and one was against Bristol City in the FA Cup. So it's not like... Phillips has talked a lot about getting better in his second season. He's mentioned Grealish and Ake, and they, they're the ones that are around now who we can get experience from. But look, Rodri was in the same boat, Bernardo Silva was in the same boat, Sane, Mares. There's a lot of players who have taken time to adjust, but not to this extent. You know, those players were playing and they were maybe not showing their best or they were struggling, but they were playing. Guardiola was picking them and he trusted them, but it's obviously just doesn't trust Phillips, doesn't play Phillips. He said, after the game at the weekend, he said, you know, there's, there's certain things he's lacking you know, for our game, you know, in the small spaces and that kind of thing. And I think before he's mentioned the stuff that Rodri's, well, Rodri's good at everything, but taking the ball from the goalkeeper with your back to play, under pressure, turning, finding somebody else. So Phillips kind of struggles with that. But he said at the weekend, he suited what they needed to do then. How often do they do that with 10 men playing five at the back? That's just not what City do. It's just, it just doesn't seem to fit at all. And there's been games where look, you can just tell if Phillips was trusted to any degree, he would have played. Uh, a great example was the FA Cup semi-final against Sheffield United at Wembley. They'd just been in Munich. They'd qualified for the Champions League semi-finals. It was a difficult game at Bayern. They were kind of having to, even though they'd won the first leg 3-0, they'd had to battle until the end against Bayern. It was a bit sloppy. And so Guardiola, when they played Sheffield United, who were obviously in the championship then, he rested Edison, he rested Diaz, he rested Stones, uh, De Bruyne, Haaland uh, and Rodri. But he didn't play Phillips. Uh, he made Gundogan the holding midfielder. Uh, Gomez, who never plays as well, he never starts games either. Um, he started that game. Laporte, who was out of the frame by then and only he only ever played when others were getting a rest and everyone knew he was going to leave in the summer. He played that game, but Phillips didn't. Like you don't, it's almost like you don't need me to sit here and and spell out kind of how how doomed the situation looks um, because you just need to look at the stats and go well something isn't right there uh, and you can just look at the the stuff on the record from Guardiola and even Phillips himself you know he spoke at the weekend and he was talking about you know staying upbeat he said which is very difficult and he said he's had times last season and even this season when he's been very down and it's like he's, it does make me wonder why he wanted to stay at all and he said and you can understand it. He wants to make a go of it and he doesn't want to just have a year at City and say, okay, that's not for me. It's not working out. But his opportunities are so limited. And then after everything I've just said as well, Kovacic came in in the summer, straight in, holding midfield, next to Rodri, instead of Rodri. And then Nunes came in. Yeah, Nunes came in. And look, talking about um, Philip starting two games of any importance up until this point, Nunes has already started two games. He's only been eligible to play for City for four. Like that just goes to show it, it just doesn't kind of in Guardiola's estimation just fit into this team and it's not about attitude it's not about um, being a bad character or anything like that because he's a really good lad in the dressing room it's just kind of technically and a little bit of maybe just his attitude to be like not in, a, not in the way that he's complaining about stuff because he doesn't but just in the sense that he needs to realise that he's at City now and there's a big step up in mentality and uh, the the kind of dedication and all those effort levels that are required from all the other players. Um, he kind of didn't make that leap last year. And so he doesn't play. And will, if he's ever been trusted before, no. Will he be trusted to play in a proper Premier League game that matters against Wolves? I am really sceptical. Maybe, maybe he does. Maybe he does. Maybe the options are so few. But Guardiola has also said that Kovacic is back now and he'll play some minutes against Newcastle. So if he's playing minutes against Newcastle and he was already above Phillips in the pecking order anyway, and so was Nunes, 
they're just going to play against Wolves, surely. And then if they don't play against Arsenal, then it'll, it'll be somebody else. I, I, I really can't... I can't see Phillips turning around the situation from where it is now. But I have to say, if there's any chance of it, it would have to be this week. It would have to be against Newcastle in difficult circumstances because there'll be a very changed team as well. If you can do well there, then maybe there's an opportunity for him. But it, honestly, it's so slim. Chris, I was just talking to um, my producer Adonis just as we were walking down for this podcast as well about Phillips. And I was just like, is that a bit of a disconnect here? Because he's a player that gets picked for his country, but barely plays football for, for, for Manchester City. Uh, there, there's, there's a quality there, but potentially not to Guardiola's liking. Yeah, yeah, I think you nailed it because there's different standards, isn't it? It's about structure. It's about meeting certain expectations and they will differ from the national team to Manchester City. Um, you know, it's it's actually, for all the talk you know, about City's depth, it's probably the case that they've got more quality players that are able at least to do a job at number six than England have. You know, because, because Gareth Southgate's always saying the reason why that Phillips is in that squad is because behind Declan Rice, there's nobody else who does that job on a regular basis. Now, Phillips doesn't even do it on a regular basis at the minute because he doesn't play, but for as long as that deficit is there within within the England squad, I think he's, he's going to continue to be picked. And that's always been a weird tension, if you like, between um, within Southgate's England, because we're only just off the back of an international break where everyone was asking for Phil Foden to play centrally, like they do at City quite regularly as well. And he said, well, he doesn't play there for his club. Well, Calvin Phillips doesn't even play for his club, but it's it's about it's about resources, it's about the alternatives and options that you already have, the depth uh, in the team, and there just isn't it isn't there with England. Um, but you know, I'd I'd echo everything that Sam said on Phillips's time at City so far. The one thing that I think you can definitely say in his credit is that, um, as Sam mentioned, is that he hasn't complained and he has accepted that he hasn't done enough to get into the side at the moment and he's still there he's still he's you know he's he's not left he's not given up he's he's turning up every day and this may sound like the bare minimum but there's been so many players at city over the past few years who have perhaps not had a look in and then have you know got on the wrong side of guardiola because of that um because they feel like they should be starting phillips has kind of accepted that position and he's attempted to work on it and it hasn't yet got fruits of that labour but as he says this is a huge week for him it will start against Newcastle and I just, I just genuinely hope for him more than anything that he puts in a he puts in a good performance and you know can come away with his head held high whether he starts at Wolves or not and this can be the start of something because it does take a while for players to adapt it has taken him longer than most who knows maybe this is the start of something and we'll, we'll have to see I was just thinking about how City play without Rodri in general, but also how City uh, are evolving or have evolved as a team under Guardiola. And uh, Sam, you wrote a really interesting piece um, when City played Fulham last season and they went 10 men down and ended up winning that game. Um, say Basically saying since 2016, there's a whole heap of stats about teams that have gone down to 10 men and their win ratio, right? And I thought it was really interesting since 2016 to 2017 season, City have the highest tally of wins next to Arsenal with, with 10 men on the pitch. You know, that was really, really fascinating. I wonder if there's a psychological thing there as well. As people who love sport, we understand the dynamics of sport that City control the game so well that even with 10 men, teams really struggle to, to, to break them down. And I wonder if being so consistent at being champions, that psychological fear has an effect on other teams as well when playing City. So even with 10 men, other teams still don't feel they can play their game because they know City can still hit them on that soccer punch. 
Wow, there's so many there's so many different elements that go into this. So last year, that Fulham game you mentioned, City were amazing. And I think when it gets to the end of Guardiola's time and I'm looking back at some of the, the best performances they've had, I think that'll be up there just because of how well they played with 10 men. Like the effort of the players to dig in but still control the game, they were unbelievable. But that said, Fulham were quite passive. And I think Marco Silva said afterwards, maybe they should have been a bit more aggressive. And then we saw at the weekend, Nottingham Forest were aggressive. They brought on hudson Adoy. They brought on Alanga. You think that's proper wing threat. And then they brought on Chris Wood and they brought on Divock Origi as well. You think, well, okay. <laughs> now, they're going for it out wide and they've got lots of threat down the middle as well. They really are going for it. But then you've got a difference in approach. You know, City controlled that game against, against Fulham. And, I mean, they have been able to do that at times to 10 men. Sometimes they haven't. It's obviously very difficult. I always remember when Guardiola was buying manager, they had 10 men when playing City in the Champions League and they played him off the pitch and then Aguero scored a hat-trick right at the end. But Bayern was still the best team with 10 men for ages. And that's just something that Guardiola's team seemed to be able to do. But then you come to this weekend and why they didn't do it. And I think you mentioned there about a bit of a new way that City are playing this year. We've talked about the players they've not had for their, for their six wins. And last season, it was so... It was so much around this idea of control. It was about players who would take extra touches, you know, the players who would think defensively, even with the ball. You know, the, the beauty of Grealish and Mahrez play, and even before they really kicked into form, particularly Grealish, after the World Cup, the reason they played so much is because they would take that extra touch and they would slow the game down to the extent that the whole team could stay compact. They could get up the pitch. If they were counter-attacking, they wouldn't counter-attack at full speed they would kind of slow it down so all their lines could get together and if we go back to why Rodri wasn't getting exposed so much it's stuff like this there's no big gap between City's lines with Grealish and Mares and Bernardo and Gundogan and Rodri and people like that slowing it down this year a lot of those players have either left or they've not been fit at all and so he's been playing with Haaland and Alvarez and Alvarez was always seen as okay he could play instead of De Bruyne because he's direct as well but not instead of Gundogan because you'd lose the balance and that was the same with Foden. So they were competing for one place, and that was De Bruyne's. Now they're both playing behind Haaland, and they're playing Jeremy Doku as well on the wing, who's just skinning everyone for fun. They, they could be very direct last year. And you think about the counter-attacks they had with, with Haaland in particular, they could do it. But they've got a different personality and a different type of player, a different characteristic of player, who's always looking to attack more than you know taking up defensive positions, using the ball carefully. They're pushing towards goal. And it's great credit to Guardiola that he can say... Because it's easy for us on the outside to say, well, this guy just likes possession, he likes passes, he's not going to want these kind of players. And that's how it looked last season. But now he is using the whole team, basically made up, the whole attack made up of these players. And it's still working. But then you come to having 10 men against Forest at the weekend. You can't control possession with 10 men when you've got players who are always thinking forward, forward, forward. So he had to think about their strengths and the, the, the players on the pitch and the, the subs that he had. What are the strengths of that team? Now, we know last year, as, as well as Haaland, the big thing was their ability to defend. And, you know, when they had the four big centre-backs or, you know, maybe be three big centre-backs and Walker, the proper defending, the winning headers, the winning tackles, they can still do that. So they relied on that. They went to five at the back and they did that. They brought Nathan Ake on. They just thought, OK, we're just going to dig in like everybody else does with 10 men. Put everyone behind the ball and play on the break. It just goes back to Guardiola always adapting. And yeah, this season they've started doing things in a different way. And we've also seen, to bring it back around to Rodri at the end of this five-minute monologue, We've seen Rodri showing a different element to his game as well. 
I think we covered this early on in, in one of the pods was that, you know, like you come off the back of a, a treble winning season, you know, the coveted Champions League that, you know, Manchester City have been really looking to get. How do you motivate these players? How do you get something just as intense out of these players? And, you know, even looking ahead to that game against Arsenal, we look at the two games they played Arsenal last season. They scored Arsenal. They taught they taught Arsenal how to play football. Guardiola just has this knack of being able to unlock a lot of these quandaries and and still play really attractive football. Yeah, like totally. And um, look, we've just done a whole podcast on on this red card and the fact that he might be missing from that game. But uh, I'm going to bring it right back around to the start. Like Sam, I'm not entirely worried for, for City over it. You know, I don't, not not that it could, obviously Arsenal are an excellent team, um, they could get a result, but it's still so early in the season. And like, look at look at what City have kind of dealt with already this season. They've had the De Bruyne injury. They've had a string of other injuries. Uh, they've even had Guardiola even missing. Now they've got this red card, but it's six games, six wins, 18 points from 18, 100% record. 18 goals scored, three conceded, I think. So it couldn't have gone better despite that. And I'm sure that's helping feed some of that hunger that you're talking about. I'm sure that's, you know, maybe a bit back to the wall, siege mentality, whatever. Let's go do it again, even though we've done the treble. And things will get a bit tougher from here because the fixtures get tougher. They've got the Champions League, but it's been perfect so far. So every setback that comes in the way, you struggle to really just think, oh, well, this could really, you know, put a cat amongst pigeons now because they deal with everything with such composure. And that's been the story of this season so far. And I guess we await to see whether it's the story of the next few weeks as well. Mark, appreciate it, Sam. Appreciate it. Thanks for both your monologues. And do not forget, you can sign up to The Athletic today and read more from these two for a special limited time offer of just £1 a month for 12 months at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic.